Oh, good morning, everyone. You're listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corinne Pierce on KZYX. Sinwama, welcome. Pikabitam de Ana. I am your host, Keishi Corinne Pierce. I'm a local pomo basket weaver, traditional artist, herbalist, dancer, storyteller, and cultural educator with ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County tribes. Yawi. Thank you for joining me today, this first Monday of April, to take a closer look at some of the amazing people, places, and events that make our home in Mendocino, Lake, and Sonoma counties unique and rich. I'm grateful to be able to share some of my personal heroes and friends who happen to be some of the most influential movers and shakers in our local indigenous community and beyond. The song that you just heard is an Ohlone song called Spirit of the Land. I thought it was an appropriate song to welcome spring. And also, happy poetry month, if you are a poet. So, kanonekan jahun, kanonekan ulkulu, spring is coming, spring is here, and I am so excited for it. It's a really, really busy time for me and probably for everybody that's listening. Um, as a traditional harvester, as a traditional basket weaver, um, weaving time, <laughs> what little weaving time I had to dedicate on weaving is over, and now it is back to the harvest, uh, which I'm really excited about. I have two wonderful guests joining me today, for, and for the second time since I began this program over a year ago, I have a real live person inside the studio with me, which is very exciting. Um, I chose my guests this month in honor of Earth Day. For both of my guests today, Earth Day truly is every day. They both inspire me with their good works. Um, the works they're doing in our communities are just outstanding. Uh, their boots on the ground and hands in the dirt style of living is an ongoing source of hope and inspiration for me and, and many others. I hope that they inspire you to celebrate Earth Day this year and every day. Just in case you hadn't made any plans or are wondering how to celebrate Earth Day, I took the liberty, with the help of my trusty search engine, of making a short list. Uh, nine simple things to do to celebrate Earth Day. And the first one is learn the history of Earth Day, which I'm going to share with you um, in just a minute. The second one is plant something. Um, but don't just plant anything. I'm asking you to plant a native plant, something that belongs where you live, something that the animals um, are depending on in your area. Now is the perfect time to plant, so um, get out there and do that. Uh, number three is ride your bike or go for a walk instead of using your car. Reducing your carbon footprint is always a step in the right direction. Number four, let your voice be heard. Support the health of our environment by getting involved. Volunteer your time. Educate in our community and schools. Or donate to environmental action groups doing work in line with your values and beliefs. Number five, make a water conservation plan. Don't be fooled by all the rain that we had this winter. And don't listen to what politicians say telling us that the drought is over. We've been in drought for so long that the land that holds the water is still sucking it up. 
So that's one of our water reservoirs in the land. Um, we have to know that that's going to keep drinking. So even though our, our creeks might be higher right now, they definitely won't stay that way. Um, so water conservation is always important. Number six, buy reusable bags. I'm sure none of us need to buy reusable bags at this point. We just need to remember to use them. Uh, my my reusable shopping bags ride shotgun or else I'm going to forget them all the time. So make sure that you do that. Um, use a refillable water bottle. At this time, I'm sure none of us need to buy any of those either. We have a million of them. Just make sure that you use them. Reducing single-use plastic as much as possible is a great way to protect the environment. Number eight, get produce from a local farmer's market or grow your own. So that's a really great way to protect the environment to eat locally. Number nine is uh, something that I'm really passionate about, which is learn about sustainable fashion and how your choices in what you put on your body make a huge difference. I was shocked um, when I was told that uh, clothing manufacturing and fabric manufacturing are the number two pollu pollution on the planet right behind industrialized farming. So um, love secondhand, do hand-me-downs. Um, when you grow up poor, sometimes there's shame about that, but let, don't let there be shame now. Um, do what you can. So to learn more about Earth Day, I suggest that you check out a couple of websites. The first one is earthday.org, and the second one is epa.gov. Both of those are really amazing. They have great um, plans that can help you um, celebrate Earth Day. So before we talk with our guests, I'm going to give you a quick history lesson on Earth Day this morning. Every year on April 22nd, Earth Day marks the anniversary of the birth of modern in, of the modern environmental movement in 1970. This month celebrates the 53rd anniversary. I did not know this. I learn a lot when I do research for my show. But just like Black History Month and Women's History Month, um, this month and this day has a theme. And this year's theme is Invest in Our Planet. This year, we rally behind the theme, Invest in Our Planet, which highlights the importance of dedicating our time, resources, and energy to solving climate change and other environmental issues. Investing in our planet is necessary to protect it and the best way to pave a path towards a prosperous future. When we invest in our planet together, we are supporting healthy, happy, and wealthy communities worldwide. So that was the statement from Earth Day um, dot com, and I'm going to give you guys a little bit of history about Earth Day. So in the decades, in the late 60s, 50s, 60s, leading up to uh, 1970, uh, the environment was really, really bad. <laughs> um, people could just pollute, and there was no repercussion for that. Um, there were literally rivers that were catching on fire, just through spontaneous combustion because they were so full of pollutants and gasoline and fuels. Um, so Americans were consuming vast amounts of leaded gas through massive and inefficient automobiles. Industry belched out smoke and sludge with little fear of the consequences from either the law or bad press. Air pollution was commonly accepted as the smell of prosperity. 
Until this point, mainstream America remained largely oblivious to environmental concerns and how a polluted environment threatens human health. However, the stage was set for change with the publication of Rachel Carson's New York Times bestseller, Silent Spring, in 1962. The book represented a watershed moment, selling more than 500,000 copies in 24 countries as it raised public awareness and concern for living organisms, the environment, and the inextricable links between pollution and public health. Senator Gaylord Nelson, the junior senator from Wisconsin, had long been concerned about the deteriorating environment in the United States. Then, in January 1969, he and many others witnessed the ravages of a massive oil spill in Santa Barbara, California. Inspired by the student anti-war movement, Senator Nelson wanted to infuse the energy of student anti-war protests with an emerging public consciousness about air and water pollution. Senator Nelson announced the idea for a teach-in on college campuses to the national media and persuaded Peek McCloskey, a, a conservation-minded Republican congressman, to serve as his co-chair. They recruited Dennis Hayes, a young activist, to organize, and to organize the campus teach-ins, and they chose April 22nd, a weekday falling between spring break and final exams to maximize the greatest student participation. Recognizing its potential to inspire all Americans, Hayes built a national staff of 85 to promote events across the land, and the effort soon broadened to include a wide range of organizations, faith groups, and others. They changed the name to Earth Day, which immediately sparked national media attention and caught on across the country. Earth Day inspired 20 million Americans, which at the time was 10% of the total population of the United States, to take to the streets, parks, and auditoriums to demonstrate against the impacts of 150 years of industrial development, which had led a growing, which had left a growing legacy of serious human health impacts. Thousands of college and colleges and universities organized protests against the deterioration of the environment, and there were massive coast-to-coast -coast rallies in cities, towns, and communities. Groups that had been fighting individually against oil spills, polluting factories and power plants, raw sewage, toxic dumps, pesticides, freeways, the loss of wilderness and the extinction of wildlife united on Earth Day around these shared common values. Earth Day 1970 achieved a rare political alignment, enlisting support from Republicans and Democrats, rich and poor, urban dwellers and farmers, business and labor leaders. By the end of 1970, the first Earth Day led to the creation of the United States Environmental Protection Agency and the passage of other first-of-their-kind environmental laws, including the National Environment Education Act, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, and the Clean Air Act. Two years later, Congress passed the Clean Water Act. A year after that, Congress passed the Endangered Species Act, and soon after, the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act. 
These laws have protected millions of men, women, and children from disease and death and have protect, protected hundreds of species from extinction. In 1990, Earth Day went global, mobilizing 200 million people in 141 countries. In 2000, Earth Day leveraged the power of digital media to build millions of local conversations across more than 180 countries. In 2010, Earth Day Network launched a billion acts of green and the Canopy Project. Earth Day 2010 engaged, engaged 75,000 global partners in 192 countries. Earth Day 2020 marked 50 years with global activation uh, that aim to mobilize a billion people worldwide for transformative action for our planet. Um, I'm pretty impressed by that. So I'm, I'm so glad that I get to share that with you. I hope that you have plans uh, for celebrating. And I am going to introduce my first guest, and his name is Casey Carn. He's from Cloverdale. And I have known Casey not very long, um, just a few years, although he's been in the community for a long time. And I, we're friends on Facebook. I always say that on here. Um, and I kind of stalk him on there because he does these amazing things, um, that benefit all of us. And I feel like not everybody sees that. And I feel like they should. So I'm so happy to, um, have him here in the studio with me. Uh, good morning, Casey. How are you? Good morning. Corinne, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So tell everybody who you are. I am Casey Carr. Uh, I live in Cloverdale, California, Sonoma County. Uh, I live right on the Russian River. My house is probably, you know, like a half mile from the river. Um, I am a father of eight children. Good morning, everybody. Diego, Jazzy, Chella, Nena, Stevie, Santino, Rosie, Kashaya. I had to, I had to name all my kids. They, it was important. And a grandfather, right? Oh, I am a grandfather. He's going to be a year old in uh, four or five days. So super happy about that one. Um, let's see. I may jump around a little bit, uh, but uh, if I do, I, I apologize. I could start off with um, how I got started. Um, let's see. I grew up in Hillsburg, and so the river was always something that we did. It was always there. We were down at the river all the time. <clears throat> Back in those days, in the in the late 80s, early 90s for me, there was a, a good spot down there at Memorial Bridge in Hillsburg. Had a high dive, low dive. We used to go down there and play every day, during the summer at least. Uh, winter time, still go down to the river and just play around. Um, when I moved to Cloverdale, in about seven years ago, uh, I went hiking around and uh, noticed everywhere I went, there was just large amounts of trash everywhere. And uh, so one morning I got up and uh, I just started collecting it. And I would get garbage bags and a picker and gloves and lace up my boots and just head out there and just start collecting trash off the river. At first... I was um, paying my own dump fees, so sometimes that would get a little expensive. Uh, I would load up my truck, you know, with garbage on a Monday morning and be like, oh, I don't have any money for dump fees. 
I'd have to wait till payday on Friday. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, so I drive around for like a week with this trash <laughs> in the back of my truck. And so uh, one day I got a phone call from a good friend of mine, Chris Brocate. He had started Clean River Alliance some years back. And he, I was posting my stuff on Facebook and uh, trying to get people inspired with pictures and, and whatnot. And uh, he gave me a call. Somebody had suggested for him to call me. And me and him hooked up. And uh, from that point, dump fees were paid for through uh, Hillsburg Russian Riverkeeper. Mm. And uh, Russian Riverkeeper is a nonprofit organization that I'm a part of. And uh, so through uh, grants and uh, donations and Sonoma County, they, you know, uh, kick in money for those kind of things, dump fees, stuff like that. So I didn't have to pay for dump fees anymore, which was good. And then that increased my habit of wanting to go out and uh, collect garbage off the river. Um, <clears throat> so seven years ago, five to six years ago, um, I was saving, I've been saving my dump receipts. And so at the end of the year, I would tally up the weight of what I collected off the river. And it's an average about, and this is just out of Cloverdale, this is an average about 40, 40 to 50,000 pounds of trash that I would collect off the Russian River. Um, <clears throat> a lot of it is, uh, during the summertime, is a really high impact. Summertime, people like to go out and enjoy the water and you know the whole environment of the river, which is great. I think everybody needs to enjoy it. But a lot of people go out there, they party, and they leave everything. Uh, canopies, barbecues, beer bottles, diapers. Um, yeah, and you, you know, whatever you could think of, really, you name it. Whatever you take out for your, for your picnic, you know, your barbecue, they would just walk away from everything. Um, I started walking around the populated areas. And handing out trash bags to people and talking to them, you know, and um, anytime you're dealing with public, it's kind of hard to get through. Some people are like, yeah, man, that's cool. Give me a trash bag and I'll come back so many hours later and, and the area will be clean. And then sometimes I've come back and seen the trash bag that I gave them laying on the ground and everything that they were using to barbecue and stuff just left there. So... Some people get it, some people don't, you know, uh, uh, the other thing that I was coming across hiking up and down the river in Cloverdale was there is a, uh, a homeless population, not very big, but they're there and my buddy Chris was the one that came up with the idea of giving them trash bags and having them bag up their own trash and setting out once a week for pickup. So I started going up and down the river, looking for camps, talking to people. Uh, a lot of them were very standoffish at first. They didn't even want to talk to me. They didn't want anything to do with me. Um, I would just politely come up to their camp, introduce myself, tell them what I'm here for. And, um, it took a while to get through to some people, you know, 
get to know their names, just talk to them. And a lot of them got on board with it. They were really good about it. Uh, some of them, for whatever reason, had just flat out refused. But after a while of just relentlessly coming every week and saying, hey, this is the deal we had, you know what's going on. And uh, finally, some people I got through to. And not everybody in within the homeless community uh, cares to participate. Uh, but, you know, I would say, you know, from a, a number of uh, out of 10, you know, you would get like eight people out of 10 who would bag up their trash and set out for pickup every week. That's great. Um, some of them would even go along and just pick up trash that other people had left out, you know. And uh, and so that was always good. Uh, one of the issues... Uh, is good to bring up is that uh, the water usage. You know, you mentioned uh, um, even though we've gotten a lot of rain this this winter, it's still good to look at your water usage. Um, we've come to an area in this time where uh, with climate change and everything that uh, we have droughts and we'll go through these periods of droughts and then all of a sudden we get all this flooding. And then we'll get some droughts and then flooding. So it's good to um, to still look at, you know, your water usage. And um, um, oh, what else is there? There's so much. The, uh, the pollution thing, cutting back on plastic, I think is good. You know, I find so much plastic along the river and um, you don't. I don't, you know, I don't always find it in time and, uh, the sun starts to beat on it. It breaks down and it, it, it falls apart into like little particles and it gets in the water and it, uh, ends up in our fish. You know, the, uh, I've seen videos all the time of people catching fish, cutting them open and there's plastic in the belly of the fish that we're eating. And so, you know, that's the other thing too, is like a lot, I find a lot of fishing gear out there a lot of fishing line left out uh people leaving their plastic containers that had worms in it and so that always kind of blew my mind i'm like you're out there fishing and uh you want to leave all your stuff so i think that that shocks me when i when i see your posts especially when you go out like after a holiday weekend and it's like it's set up for a party, you know? The barbecue's there, the lawn chairs are there, their umbrellas are there, and there's no people there because they just left it all. That really blows my mind. I had not really paid much attention to that, but as a basket weaver, I spend a lot of time in, in watersheds, at creeks, in riparian areas, and I the stuff I dig up. <laughs> like I, I see you picking that stuff up now, but I'm always really grateful that you're doing that and I, I want more people to do that with you. And I also want to say, if you love a place and you're enjoying that place, don't leave your trash there. That just seems like common sense to me, but it it isn't to so many people. There's so many places that you can take your trash that are appropriate. And I always see you picking up things that people dump, like refrigerators and car tires and and like there are places where those go and it's not 
the river. <laughs> it's not the creek side. It doesn't make sense to me when people do that. Um, so do you know, do you have any advice for people <coughs> that are dumping their stuff? Yeah, don't do it. Stop. <laughs> Plain and simple. Uh, you know, the thing is with uh, appliances and TVs, no, not TVs, because um, things like TVs and radios are free to recycle at just about any dump as far as I know. But like your washer and dryer and your tires, they've become really expensive. Uh, a washer would be, you know, 40 to $50. Like you could go to the Hillsburg dumps and they're going to charge you a pretty good amount of money. Uh, tires are $15 a piece, 15, 20 bucks a piece. And so I think that's the reason why people are dumping a lot of those things. For some odd reason, they find it necessary to dump it out at the river, which is doesn't make any sense at all because water is so essential to us. Uh, and not only that, but they'll throw it down the hillside. So you look down this steep hillside, 30, 40 feet down, and there's a washer down there. <laughs> and so, you know, there was one time me and a, my brother were trying to get this washer up this hillside and we tied it to the, we tied a rope to the washer and then tied it to my truck and I was pulling it up and it got about five feet from the top and the rope broke and tumbled all the way back down <laughs> to where we had found it. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> so it was, uh, had to get better rope, but, um, <laughs> we finally got it out of there. But yeah, that's a, a, a huge issue. People drive out and throw all their, you see, uh, you know, remnants of people that had probably remodeled their house. And so they, you know, they redid their bathroom. And so you find a bathtub and and all the fixings that were inside the their bathroom the, you know the old stuff that they didn't want and i'm assuming they were just trying to probably skip out on uh dump fees um i know one thing that's probably common that is that uh, people will pay other people to do dump runs for them and you know to save money to pocket the money they'll just dump it down at the river i, I i've that that seems to be a common problem but yeah, tires, all that stuff, uh, huge problem uh, in Cloverdale and uh, up and down the Russian River, you know, Guerneville area. Uh, oh, I do want to mention, too, that I uh, am part of a clean team. We're the, we're the clean team out of and uh, the clean team is part of Russian Riverkeeper. And so it is, it's very basic. We just go out with a picker and garbage bags and uh and just get trash off the river. Small items, big items, uh, automobiles. Wow. People push their cars down the hillside. Um, that's not very common, but it happens. Um, so I want to I want to tell everybody something because I I think it's crazy. And when you said old cars on the river, that made me think about it. Um, for a number of years. I believe in the 70s and 80s, um, best practice for uh, watershed restoration, I guess, or riverbank deterioration actually was to just tie a bunch of cars together and put them along the side of the river. Um, and if you go up Russian River, you can see, you'll see a whole bunch of like cars from the 50s and the 60s all just on the side of the road. And those were put there on purpose. Yeah, I think to stop erosion. To stop erosion. Right. But I found out that a lot of times those cars weren't totally cleaned out. Mm. So they've been leaking 
oil, they've been leaking every other kind of fluid and then also deteriorating and it's just crazy. And I, I found out that is it um, like a cup of oil or a cup of gas can, can um, ruin basically 10,000 gallons of water or something. So the pollution's really bad, but I'm always shocked when I find old cars in a row, like on the road, like, why is this? And I just found that out. But there's two things I want to um, ask you about. First, I want to ask about the recognition that you got from the city of Healdsburg. Can you tell everybody about that? Uh, from Cloverdale. Oh, Cloverdale. Okay. Yeah, I got a proclamation. What was that? What was Do you that? remember what it said? It, I, I don't remember what it said. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't remember. It was just like, you know, recognition for the work being done along the river. Uh, that's about all I can remember at the moment. It was pretty as cool. I should have I should have totally screenshot that. <laughs> um, and then my other question for you um, before we finish up with you is: um, How can people support you? How can people um, get in contact with your your clean team, or um, how can we get involved in cleaning up the river? So Russian Riverkeeper does have a website uh, or a Facebook, and they have. Um, cleanups every month in different areas uh if you go on there i don't know dates and all that but if you go on there you can find out more um i used to do once a month cleanups in cloverdale but i got i worked two jobs as a butcher seven days a week so i got real tied up with that and my children and so i haven't been doing that i'd like to get back into that um you know, people can contact me at my phone number. My phone number is 707-955-9112. I'm real easy to reach on Facebook, Messenger, whatever. Um, or you can call, you can text. Because um, that is something that I need to get back into as far as, you know, being active with the community and getting more people involved. You know, and a lot of times when you go out, you just bring... It doesn't even have to be a, a whole trash bag. Just bring a little bag with you and take out a little more than you brought in. You know, if you see a plastic bottle laying on the beach, grab it. You know, yeah. things like that. And uh, if a lot more people did that, there, you know, you would see a lot less trash cool. out there. And so it's always, you know, pack it in, pack it out. Um, oh, there was something else I was going to say. I forget what it was. I'm just going to tell everybody that you should follow Casey because he has these little girls that are out there um, picking up trash and they're they're tiny and they're so adorable with their giant bags of trash and their tires and they're like they're doing the work of three men out there. And I'm always I feel weird when I say I'm proud of someone else's kids, but I'm always so proud of your kids doing their doing their stuff and, and working with you. So I want to. Um, thank you very much for being here today. And thank you so much for doing what you do in our community and along our creeks. Um, is there anything else that you would add? Or do you want to give people advice on what they can do for Earth Day? Uh, you know, I think you pretty much nailed it on all the things you said you could do for Earth Day. Those are great. Those That list of 10. Uh, one more thing. Um, Trout Unlimited is a group I'm not real familiar with, but I know they're going to do some work with my friend Isaac Rios out there in Point Arena. And so they got a cleanup coming up uh, sometime during the summer on the Garcia River out there. Oh, awesome. And so I know they want to organize something big. So that's definitely something that I'm going to be a part of and other people can be a part of too. Great. 
Thank you so yeah. much, Thank Casey. you for having me. Thanks. You're listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce on KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can also download the new um, KZYX app and listen to us that way, or we also live stream at KZYX.org. I'm really excited to welcome my second guest. This is her second time on this show, and I'm really I'm so excited for her to tell you what she's doing because if there was enough of me, if I had a clone of myself, I would be over with her every single Friday and weekend and just be doing great stuff. So uh, welcome, Allie Metters Knight, Synthamana. Hey, Tonani. <clears throat> My name is Allie Metters Knight. I'm a Machuca tribal member. I'm also Nomalaki, Konkawa, and Wintu from the side of the Sacramento River over here. Um, um, and as part of the valley in the Sierra Nevada Valley. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. So, um, last time you were here, um, there was very different things going on and you weren't sure where you were going to go with this masterful knowledge that you have of traditional, um, seeds and plants and ecosystems. And I'm so happy, um, I'm also stalking on Facebook. I'm stalking. I'm spending a lot of time stalking people these days. Um, but I, I know about your good works. We've done art shows together. One of these days, we are going to go to the Indian markets, uh, with our baskets and our art. Um, but what I really want people to know about is the tech program and the verbena fields that you've been maintaining. And I'm so happy and you're not really close because you're over the mountain Wayla Mia over there but the impact that you're having on the indigenous community in all of California and especially northern California is so impactful can you tell us about that tech program that you are running and I know you guys did seeds and I was like I'm, I'm there I'm there I wasn't there but I was wishing so tell us about what you're doing yeah, so traditional ecological knowledge is, is basically a place-based science methodology of tending land or stewardship. I like to think of it as, um, as it's, it's, it's not human centric. Um, there's a lot of land tending and land management that is all geared toward the benefit of the human, the human. Um, but this is traditional ecological knowledge, which is based on reciprocity and a mutual understanding of ecosystems and tending those ecosystems. So the TEK, you know, a lot of times, you know, traditional ecological knowledge is passed down from a practitioner, not only to tribal members and to family, but to community members. And, you know, if you really get to meet somebody who has experience and knowledge of TEK, what they'll do is you can probably find down the lineage of where they learned that basket, that basket knowledge, that cordage knowledge, how to tan that hide, how to make that. There is somebody you can lineal come down to to find out which practitioner it was passed down to. So I decided that it was really important for workforce development for folks that have exposure and knowledge of TEK to be certified by a TEK practitioner so they can take that certification that's authentically from that practitioner and say, I learned this. I learned this riparia restoration at Verbena Fields in Machupta Territory, and I spent 72 hours with this practitioner here. Some might say, I spent 700 hours. Well, you can look at that and say, wow, that person has spent a lot of time with that practitioner. They probably know how to do the restoration that that practitioner has been able to do. 
So this is all for workforce development. I know we were talking about Earth Day. You were saying, you know, EPA came in into the 70s and kind of started really ramping it up. But, you know, forestry and all these programs and, you know, what's under the the USDA agriculture is really where I slid into TEK. So I use the understanding that tobacco, our tobacco plants, our tobacco seeds are ag. We and There is no wild tobacco. I know you'll see a sign that says wild tobacco. This is hilarious because that is actually our first agriculture. And similarly enough, it's the only seeds that one of the only seeds that really saves for a long time. Most California seeds, native plants, either need to have like some kind of spooky spo- potion in order to get it to grow. You know, you got to scarification, you know, but you, yeah, you have to yeah. guess which kind. <laughs> yeah. It's always like a potion. I was all this potion. You need hot water. Then you get to freeze it. You got to turn around, flip it in the air, smack it five times, and then it'll grow. Um, because there's all these native plants are so like, you know, complicated in a way. So when we do these, when we have the Dixie fire, the campfire, restoration on these areas, you really couldn't propagate these at a nursery and get them going unless you had mass amount of people seeding and you can't seed bank these. And so they, they don't hold for long. So I was learning to, through this, this Burbina fields, create a living seed bank and also a living nursery. So the plants go in the ground. The, the, the plant, the seeds get picked and re, and put down somewhere else to create another area for more seeding and seed banking. So it's a, it's a, it's a methodology. It's a, it's a scientific approach, but it's an indigenous scientific approach and it's not Western. In fact, it blows a lot of Western theories out of the water. I'm always, I'm always amazed by that. I actually just took a naturalist course through the UC. And I, I recommend that for everybody. But I always, I always kept thinking, I was like, they, they think the darndest things about indigenous, especially because it was a naturalist program for California. And I, I literally in the book that we're reading, it literally says that natives don't plant things. And I was like, really? This is news to me. I thought we've been planting and harvesting and, and tending for a long time. And I, I love what you're, what you're saying. Oh my gosh. It is, it is tricky to, to plant seeds, to transplant them. Like I have several times tried to transplant manzanita and I was, it was like, uh, no, I die. And it, I was talking to Sherry Smith Ferry who runs the, or who was in charge of the garden at the Grace Hudson Museum where you did your talk for the, um, Sierra Club. And, um, I asked her, like, how did you get these manzanitas in here? And she was like, with much difficulty and a high percentage of death. So, you know, it, it's, they like to grow where they're from, which I think is why you doing the seed into the ground and the living seed bank, it is so important. These seeds are very important. I talk to, um, a lot of people about, um, for Earth Day, don't just plant any tree. Plant the tree that needs to be where you are. Um, bugs are relying on those trees. And then birds are relying on those bugs. And then other animals are relying on those birds and so forth and so on. And, and these, these animals can't just switch to another. I mean, if I go to the store and they're out at lettuce, I'm going to get cabbage or something. But, 
other bugs can't do that. They can't switch. They've been here for, you know, tens of thousands of years evolving with these plants, just like us. Um, and I'm so glad to see you um, doing that. And I, I want you to, to talk a little bit more about, because I think this idea blow, does blow people's mind, um, about the workforce, about creating a new workforce that knows how to tend a forest instead of just going out and chopping everything down. So tell me about where that idea came from and, and what it looks like going into practice. Yeah, so a lot of it has to do with ethics, too. So, you know, when you think about seeds, um, ethically, seeds are our ancestors. They're our living cultural resource. Um, and technically, you know, living cultural resource is a technical Western term. But calling seeds our ancestors is t literally, a, literally an ethical explanation of how we should hold seeds and view them in our lives. They come from this relationship, this long this long, long lineage, if not even from from the ground where our ancestors are buried and, and put down for all these years, here ar arrives these seeds, this living ancestor. I'm so going to just you interrupt you one second because I, I say this a lot and uh, we probably have said it to each other, but I think the world would be much better if everyone started referring to these things as relations as relatives instead of resources, right. um, the water, the seeds, the trees, the land, and each other. We are not resources to be used. We are relatives to be cared for. Sorry, continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's this Western term that a lot of tribes use and their departments are made out of, but truly they're our ancestors. We have a relationship with these seeds. So we don't want to bag up these seeds and then show them up for a contract and say, hey, you know, $500 for this bag of seeds. I'm going to sell you my ancestors because that's not a good relationship. That's not how this works. So the workforce is actually putting the man or the woman or the human in charge of taking care of that place and producing the work and the effort. So you just, you actually just, you know, you burn the calories out the human and get paid for that, for that source right there. So instead of you know, so the ethically it's building that workforce. And so it's also giving them a science and a knowledge of keystone species that belong in each of them. And then introducing a cultural practitioner, if I can, if it's possible, or at some point and say, these are cultural keystone species. And these have symbiotic relationships in all these different ways. This is that these, this is how the village works. So a lot of times, um, cultural keystone species and keystone species are very similar. Um, so that, um, say, for instance, when we look at pollinators and we're looking at how do I construct or how do I plan for this restoration area, I plan for the ecosystem. First of all, is this a riparia? It should have overstory, middle story, and understory, all three. And then it should have pollination. The bees are going to be here 12 months a year. So I need a pollinator in May. I need a pollinator in June. I need a, I need everything blooming every month. There needs to be some food for these tinies. And so when we look about, you know, these areas, we kind of remove ourselves from being this omega alpha human who I have, you know, I'm going to do a raised bed because I have to have food for myself. And this is all about me. No, this is food for the animals. And sometimes these plants that we have, they don't grow in nurseries. These native plants don't grow in nurseries. You're not going to find pipe vine, but maybe a two inches long 
pipevine doesn't grow without the symbiotic relationship of the 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 swallow the pipevine butterfly um caterpillar has to chew on the leaves so you're not going to see nursery people going out and gathering caterpillars and bringing them on into their tiny little four by fours and tiny little cuts of their plants no that that is something that happens in nature so the butterflies actually you know you're talking about you know you know these berry pipevine swallowtails they only have the symbiotic relation with this one plant like you said and then we have the monarchs with our um milkweed and you know we have our milkweed pods and we have to open them up and you know try to get all of this these um plants going and it's all about gathering them from one location you've got about a certain amount of months to get that seed into another area and then you got dna ecosystems and native they'll fight their dna is for that area so you sometimes i can't go grab some deer grass from chico and then haul it down to tehama county and it's going to do great there's already deer grass there and it's been <laughs> they won't like it but then there's plants like mule fat and soap root where the soil's got metals it's got contamination and so i'm gonna those plants do really good in areas where it has a job to do it's dirty and it's like i got a job to do i gotta clean the soil i gotta do this and i like clay i like rocks i like it really rough you know and they like to go into that area you're not going to find a nursery that's going to put clay and rocks inside of there to try to grow a plant so you know, it just, it takes that understanding of looking in that ecosystem and actually removing yourself. Like we, as Americans, we in Western, this United States of America, the U.S. citizen is taught that they are the ultimate. Not only are you a world champion, but you are a human of Omega. You are like right next to God. You know, everybody else is underneath you. And that is really, you know, you don't, you only feel how small you are until that, t that tornado comes and gets you and you realize that you ain't that big. You ain't that strong. And humans are not that powerful and you will get up. So it's important to, to kind of see nature as like this, you know, stewardship, reprocity. And like you said, removing this idea of it's being a resource and saying, no, if there's anyone's a resource, it's me. And it's my, the calories that I eat, I can burn in this sun doing something and um make it all worth something good so um you know i might be the only resource that i can consider myself but that's a that's to me that's personal um between me and the community and me and my family but yeah everything else i don't feel like after being spending so much time with volunteers at verbena fields it's like two years every single friday and we cut back for the basket weavers. So some of them are not basket weavers, but I'm like, basket weavers will be here. So you have to cut back all of this willow. This is their favorite. This is the gray willow. And we've got to cut all the gray willow down, 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 down to the ground. And they're really worried at first. They're like, is it going to grow back? I'm all, it will grow back. Believe and more me. beautiful and healthy than before. Yeah, so we have four foot, five foot long stretches of willow out here. Um, and we do, we have red willow, black willow, yellow willow, but we get to teach all the willows out here. We get to teach, uh, when they're blooming, what stages they're at. And we also get to burn some deer grass. I got to weave for the first time with deer grass. I've never done that. And, it was just because I was taking care of the plant so much. And then it was like, weave me. And I was like, oh, you can weave you. 
And so I started weaving with the deer grass. And I saw the um, burns that you did with uh, Redbud too. And I love the way that you cage them with their own stock, you know, with their own branches and then fill them up. I thought that was so smart. Like, what a way to make other people not scared of, of a burn. So that was really wonderful. And I saw your deer grass basket. That was very, very cool. I'm excited to come and visit over there because I know all of the work that you guys have been doing. And, and what I love seeing is like, I, I love seeing since you started it, you know, and, and how it's changed and how so many more plants and relatives have volunteered in your area because they, they feel that, you know, I'm always feel like a hippie when I'm like, no, no, these plants are responding to chemicals in your body that are calling them because we've been together for so long that they just are showing up. And I'm like, wow, look at how cool that is. And then they bring in the bugs. And my mom would always tell me that um God creator speaks to us, but we are just too loud to listen so they they really speak through the plants and we have to pay attention to the plants and what they're doing and and follow the animals um you know their lead on how how to interact with them so i'm super excited that you're getting to weave with that how many people on average do you have coming on fridays and in your tech class now all right. Yes. Yeah, so, so the program started about 12 years ago. And so by then I was just like random, like, oh, I'm going to do this week, like once, twice a month or something. So last two years, it's every single Friday. We started off with Chico State students coming in for some credit. And so it was, it's, it looked kind of big. It was like 10, 12 people. And then we, we were, were working up, we get up to 30. Wow. We get up to 50. Last, last Friday was about 30. And we had different groups come. So a lot of folks just kind of organize. They can guarantee that there's a Friday volunteer community program. They get to learn about plants. Um, this last time they pulled out a lot of mustard and start thistle because you don't even need gloves to pull it out right now. It just rained. They all give it up. And then when they give up their taproot, um, that's a good time to drop in your good native seed right in there. It's like pirates are in. And so, um, <laughs> pirate that taproot, put in that seed. Um, I'm, you know, you get used to gathering seeds and keeping stuff. It started off with just using little tiny, you know, plastic bags that I found out in nature and just filling them up with seeds and then, um, and then bringing stuff, you know, uh, now we use a lot of, uh, um, you know, just, just glass jars and stuff once I get home to process and get stuff going. And then, um, I've been doing big, uh, teaching at UC Davis with all the tribes, uh, they were teaching the nursery. So I'm just bringing my big, huge collection of seeds in that all get dumped. Everyone's like, I, I can't keep them. They're, they're all, they, they have to go in the ground. So we're all doing the dumping right now. It's just like big seed dumping time for me. Um, while it rains and, um, the weather's so been every- great because it's like you said, you have to have that magic spell. So we had like some hot days and then it snowed last week. It literally snowed at my house last week. So I'm like, okay, well, there's the hard freeze. I guess I didn't need to put you in the freezer because it was coming again. So it's like, it's been magical. And I, I, I want to say something because I actually Casey reminded me of it and I didn't say it. The, the weird weather that we're having, the, hot long summers with very little rain and then all our rain at once is actually climate change that is not our normal our normal thing so people that are saying 
Well, we're not calling it global warming anymore. That's so 90s. It It's climate change now, but what's really happening is um, we call it global weirding because it's just weird. Everything's just weird. We were looking up things. Um, hot days. There's this website you can go to and it, and it tells you from the time that you were born until now, how many more hot days a year are there than there were when you were born. And for everybody, it was going up. And when we looked at Ukiah, it actually went down. We have less hot days than we used to, um, however old I am, some 40-something years ago. <laughs> um, so we have less hot days, but the days that we do have are hotter. So, And then the colds are getting extreme. So everything's getting weird. So these seeds actually have already lived through that. And they're, you know, they're made for fire. They're made for freezing. They're made for poor soil. They're made for where they are. Um, and I'm so glad that you're sharing that information with everyone. And I know because I have, I have family members and community members that come back from your class and are empowered. And they, it's such a gift to, for, for my community, for you to, help these people feel more connected to their relations. And I, I want to say thank you for doing that. And I always support what you're doing. I think you do amazing things. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.